Broadway Bullet Volume 801 for July 11th, 2017. It is our Nymph 2017 special. Make sure you don't miss an episode and find out more information by subscribing and visiting broadwaybullet.com. Now on to the episode. Broadway Bullet is back. We've got our Nymph Spectacular. We're covering shows from Nymph 2017, which is just starting right now. So here's a few shows you can catch. We've got three shows. We're going to hear songs and hear from people involved with The Light Rail, Temple of Souls, and The Demise, as well as from two of the people in charge of the Nymph organization, because it's brand new folks. So what are you waiting for? Get a ticket and get on board. Welcome back for our eighth season as we celebrate this season, our 11th anniversary. Why are we celebrating our 11th anniversary? Because somehow I missed our 10th. But hey, we're going to celebrate the 11th. We started up in August of 2006 and we're still going. So I'm pretty sure we're the longest running theater podcast around. We got a lot of fun stuff for this season. Also, uh, really excited. My uh, major in theater and business arts has passed. We are starting officially this September. Uh, There is still room if there's anybody out there last minute wanting to get involved. We talk about the art of being a theater artist as well as the business of being an artist. And I'd say one of the biggest things is our program isn't attempting to mold you into what kind of artist we think you should be. Our goal is to help you develop and discover the theater artist you want to be. So um, our school has just changed the name to University of Providence, Great Falls. Uh, We're owned by Providence Health and Human Services on the West Coast. Um, The uh, tag still says... University of Great Falls because the website isn't up yet and um, they haven't told me what the new website address is. But we'll get those all updated as soon as it happens. And uh, if any of you are looking forward to schools, um, love to see you. We got a lot of projects for you. So uh, with all that, a lot of great news. We're going to jump in to our episode talking to three different nymph shows as well as the people who head up the New York Musical Festival. Yes, it's New York Musical Festival now, not New York Musical Theater Festival. And here we go. Also, be sure there is a B episode to this. Um, we only had one like long episode of those festival, and we just missed the show, Anne Frank and the Gaza Strip. But there's a really fascinating interview about the show, but also about uh, gender and race politics and acting. And I really urge you to check out 801B. All right. With that said, let's get going. Special thanks to our location sponsor. Thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund for welcoming us to their space for today's podcast. Providing the music hall at DGF for writers to use for free 
is one of the many ways the Dramatist Guild Fund supports writers. I encourage you to find out more about DGF by visiting their website at www.dgffund.org or connecting with them on Twitter at DGFund. Festival Feature. All right, I am here with Lorca Perez and Annika Paris. Say that five times fast, the, the two <laughs> names. And they are, uh, you're the writers, right? Yes. For, uh, two Temple of, of, two of. Two of. How many? Okay, for two of the writers for Temple of Souls, playing at Nymph. Yes. And uh, so what did you work on on the, on the show, first off? Uh, well, I'm the uh, co-writer with, well, first of all, it's a, a bit of a family project, we have to say. Yeah. Our grandmother wrote the story. Okay. And her name is Anita Velas Mitchell. And uh, she is Puerto Rican. She's from uh, Vieques, Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And uh, the story evolved from a trip that she took to Puerto Rico um, about 10, 12 years ago. She passed away in Mm -hmm. 2015 at the age of 99. So she was already in her 90s. And she went to Puerto Rico and went into the caves and was listening to a tour guide, hearing the stalactites drip, and decided that the rhythm were the cries of the Taino people, who were the indigenous nation of Puerto Rico. Came outside, wrote a poem, which she called Totem Taino, and turned it into an opera libretto. And then uh, showed it to me. I have a theater company, and we do new works and you know script development series. So I took a look, and I said, this is gorgeous. What are you going to do with it? And she said, I'm looking for a composer. So this is sort of a little bit of a background story. We went into, she started to do it as an opera. It took the man a year to write two songs, two arias. So we then said, let's go to somebody else. And she said, how about about Annika, (laughs) who is my sister and her writing partner, Dean. And now I turn it over to you. Yeah. So then we ended up writing the finale piece because I said, I don't write opera. We're Uh, we're commercial contemporary writers. And it started out, sort of, we were still kind of in the direction of musical opera. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, Lorca said, well, why don't you just try writing the final song? So we went in the studio and sat down and rewrote the final song in probably 30 minutes. And it's sensational. And we sang every part from baritone <laughs> to soprano. He's squeezing me so I could hit the high notes. <laughs> this is Dean Landon. Dean Landon, I'm sorry. So my the co-composer and the orchestrator is my writing partner for 21 years, Dean Landon. He lives in L.A. So we wrote the final yeah. piece together. And then after that, Lorca and I were like, wow, there's just something happening here. Right. So Dean felt the same way. It was effortless, which doesn't often happen. And so over the years... We have been developing and rewriting the script and rewriting right. music, and it's just emerged and it keeps getting stronger and stronger. It takes you know time yeah. to develop a piece. So there's four of us. There's Anita, Anita yeah. Dean, Lorica, and myself. Right, all the writers. Of all the, the writers of the. And of the so whole yeah, show. so I, and I didn't get that your sisters until just now. <laughs> yes. I, I was thinking that the Paris and Paris were a little close. <laughs> uh, well, you want to explain so why like, you go? Yeah. Okay, Paris? so here's what happened. This is very because everyone says Paris and it's actually Paris. Okay. Well, Paris with an E. With an okay. E. P E R E S S. So every time I would call somewhere, they'd say Paris. They'd say what Perez? I said no, Paris, as in France. And that was a whole joke I had. And when I got the rec, I had a record deal out. I was with um, uh, Adel, Adel, which goes through Sony. 
when I had my first record deal, they said, Annika, I just wanted to go Annika. There's already an Annika. Yeah. And I said, well, then let's just do my real name. And they said, no, it's too complicated. No, There's Annika in Paris. Music industry. That's right. <laughs> so now it's Paris. And my whole family is always joking. This is Annika Paris. Because right. yeah. they, uh, they were Paris. And I'm Paris. <laughs> right. So that's how it worked. And actually, on a, on a professional level, for a long time, we were hiding the fact that this was a family project. Because we were Annika all, and I. Yeah, yeah Lurk and I were. Because... We're professionals, and we didn't want people to think, oh, it's cute, it's all nepotistic. You know, we have had our own There's track. been histories of this before, you know, like the Gershwin. Right, we're well, not the first. We're, we're not, not the first. first. Yeah. <laughs> but we wanted the show to have its yeah. own merit before yeah. we exposed that, and now we're like, now that Anita's passed, we have yeah. to really talk about it because we're keeping her story alive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, what is uh, the Temple of Souls about? What can we? Temple of the Souls. Well, as I said, it started Temple off. Temple of the Souls. Okay. Temple of the Souls. It started off as this totem Taino, which was actually an apology or an apologia to the Taino people as a Spaniard for Anita, um, having, you know, Spanish roots and growing up in Puerto Rico. But she had her DNA tested the year before she died, and she had uh, a lot of percentage as Native American. So that was surprising to all of us. So not only is she Spanish, but she actually is indigenous as well. So the story originally was this apology mm-hmm. about uh, how the Spaniards had decimated the Taino, um, just like it happened Along here in, in the United States, right? And and mm-hmm. one of the issues with um, that great tragedy was that they took their lives by jumping off the El Yunque rainforest mountain cliffs. And so in our play, it's about the Temple of the Souls is the sacred ground where they jumped. And um, she started with that idea and built a love story around it. And so the love story is a conquistador's daughter falls in love with the Taino, very Romeo and Juliet. And uh, they meet. And, uh, well, it's actually, it starts before that. Uh, we, had at, we felt that we wanted a bookend to the piece. So we actually took Anita's story of be, being in the cave, and we set up a present-day tour, tour guide, guide. <laughs> through the caves and uh, they are magically transported back in time. So they, they see a petroglyph on the wall of the Forbidden Lovers, and the, the uh, tour guide tells them who they were, that this is the story of Guadionamada. It's, to us, it's a fiction story, yeah. but we make it real. And they're mesmerized by the imagery, and they're transported back in time through magic. And then the play takes place in the 1500s. So the idea is this reincarnation, the concept of, well, people might not know about the Taino, so just to back it up a bit, when Christopher Columbus came to America, he didn't. He landed in the Hispaniolas, yeah. and the, the history doesn't teach us that. And all the because it doesn't glorify us. Of course, it doesn't. <laughs> but right. we we do talk about the Native American Indians. We don't talk about the Native Taino people. And now there's a whole controversy of also calling people Indians. They don't yeah. like that because it wasn't India yeah. we landed in. So when he came, that's when they just murdered all these people. I had actually never heard of a Taino population, even being half Puerto Rican. It was never taught to me. I didn't learn about it. So this is a kind of a history that people are unaware of. And it's right. really the founding of America, which we don't learn about. So I think it's educational on top of that. And then it's so emotional it was really massacred. How many? 300,000? Well, this is where it's difficult because the census at the time was, there were a lot of mixed numbers. And it was based on the priests to basically document how many people were living there. And so many of the Tainos escaped up into the mountains. 
So the question is how many were actually, you know, decimated. Um, but it, it, it is over 100,000 for sure. Um, and then the census said there was nobody left. By the mid-1500s, I think there was a documentation I just read today that said there were 60 Tainos left in all of Puerto Rico. You know, yeah. well, now obviously that's not true, but that's how many they counted and they found. And so in our story, they fall in love and um, they become the parents of the mestizo, mestizo race of Puerto Rico, mix. which is the mix of Spanish and indigenous. Okay. Now, do you guys have a demo of this? We sure. do. Is there a song from it you'd like us to insert into the interview? Yes, yes. absolutely. Uh, well, tell us a little about what you want us to play. Well, I'm not, okay, there's an, I'll I'm tell not you dreaming is a love story. Here's, right. a, here's the interesting okay. thing, if, you, if I could talk a little musically. Yeah. Um, we decided that what we wanted to do between the parents and the kids was have the, the parent music being a little bit more traditional and the younger generation having more of a contemporary pop feel. So we tried to, Dean and I was trying to design it that way. So I'm not dreaming is more of like, it, would, it could be a contemporary pop ballad, okay. a duet between the two lovers. And Temple of the Souls, the finale is big and epic timpani and orchestral and, mm -hmm. and it shakes you to the boots. You know, you're like, wow. So um, that's how we sort of did it musically. And I think both of those would probably bookend it. You get a nice feel, okay. dynamic. Well, play those right now. Yay. Listen to the whole world spinning Hope is rising like the sun I'm no longer filled with longing On this mountain top alone and Let us sing for joy and sorrow Turn your eyes to mine and see I've not a heart to fear or wonder Now that you Seems to be an old friend Strange when you're no longer strangers Not knowing how or where or where Sientes el mundo dar vueltas Lo que no ha de ceder Quiero que el mundo lo sepa Con un grito de placer
Full of the souls where sadness reigns Loved ones are close, so still remain They saved themselves from worldly foes Escaped aggression, discrimination, war Taking their own lives they've sinned Now one can still hear their guilty screams One can see the shadowed nights of wandering ghosts In the temple of the souls In the temple of the souls So, you know, you mentioned that this was a new musical style for yourself, Monica. Yes. Um, had you done musical theater before at all? Because I know you do a lot of, you've done a lot of popular, and you even teach popular music, I don't do you? teach popular music. I've, well, my father's a classical conductor. And our so, father. Our father. I have to say, <laughs> that's right, I'm with, I'm, I've never done an interview with you. This is so funny. Our father is a classical conductor, so we were raised doing opera and theater and musicals in high school and, you know, as performers. As performers. Yeah. So, yes, I'm exposed to musical theater. Have I written musical theater? No. But today, musical yeah. theater is very contemporary, and I come from a classical background, so I have done, you know, written some classical pieces on the piano, and my writing partner, Dean, actually composes for Warner Brothers, and he does all the orchestral cues. So he became very well-versed in the classical back uh, round, and... Strangely enough, together we started contemporary, and we sort of both went back to our roots of incorporating classical into the piece, which is, you know, it's lovely. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So. so, what was what was the biggest challenge adapting this piece from your mother's original story? Did you 
Did you have to change Getting out of the rhyme, get, cutting out the rhymes. <laughs> because um, I would say that was one, of, I mean, it wasn't the biggest challenge, but it was one of the challenges. And also the opera, because I really started on that, working on the book with her. Um, the opera libretto was short, um, you know, and fully sung. Yeah. That was the idea would be fully sung through. And so then to take that and turn that into... Dialogue. Dialogue, mm -hmm. true scenes. You know, we kept the, the and then deciding what would become a song. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked with her a lot on, you know, turning it, transforming this, the script. And then re repositioning scenes and developing character. Uh, some of the characters were a little archetypal, one dimension, and I felt we needed a little bit more background work through that story. Yeah. And then and then the hard thing for her, oh, she's so cute. We love Renita. We're, we're <laughs> such big fans of our grandmother. And uh, she called me up one day. I said to her, you have to kill. Well, I can't really <laughs> give away too much, but I said, somebody has to die. Let's just put it that way. So, you know, because it does have this operatic yeah. and also because the mission, you know, you can't do a piece about intolerance and hatred and greed without somebody being a martyr. Yeah. So, unfortunately, otherwise the message doesn't go through and the audience doesn't pick up on that and, and then everyone lives happily yeah. ever after and it doesn't really work. So she called me up and she says, I killed them all! Like that. <laughs> I killed them all! And she's crying on the phone. I said, no, you don't have to kill them all. I said, but somebody has to die. We won't tell you who died or how many people died. But, you know, it was just so cute. So... There were a lot of challenges. But it's somewhere between none and them all. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to put it to you this way. Bring some tissues. It is not the yeah. happiest, but it is beautiful. It's brilliant. And it though. does it does yeah. end up it does end up being an enlightening an yes, enlightening. Yes, it enlightens you by the end, yeah. By the end yeah. of it all. So, uh, when does it when can people catch this? Anywhere, we'll be um, at the Acorn Theater at Theater Row at Theater Row. I miss at Theater Row Studios. That's the rehearsal space. Acorn Theater at Theater Row on 42nd Street, and we run from July 19th through the 23rd, and we have five different performance times, which will be great, so summer afternoon or summer evening, and we have a great team. Can I tell you about the yes. people who are involved? Yes. Oh, we're excited. We have Bruce Baumer as our music director. He's been with us since day one. We've done two uh, equity showcases of this, Okay. and we were we've won all kinds of wonderful awards. From uh, OLA, Hispanic Organization of Latin Actors, we got Outstanding Production, we got uh, Outstanding Original Music, Design Award, Choreography Award, uh, and then the second production we did in 2014, we got, uh, we were nominated for six New York Innovative Theater, Theater Awards. Awards. So a lot of, you know, good attention. So the people who are involved at the NIMF show, we have Enrique Brown, who will be our choreographer. Um, he, he's great. He yes. had a he's had a, a ballet background, as a matter of fact. Um, but he's smart and he's really digging what's going on. We're really also, excited. Also, tell them a little. This was what I'm excited about too, because okay. we went to the dance auditions. Was it two days? Thursday. Thursday. Right. And um, he's going to incorporate some contemporary hip hop, not yes. hip hop, straight yeah. hip hop, but some contemporary elements into the dance. So we'll be going from <laughs> traditional into some really hip stuff. Right. So we're trying to. It's going to be a very good. We're show. funking it's it up. Exciting. And then Jason Falk is our lighting designer, and uh, Jason's done a lot of uh, great work in New York. He and I uh, worked together in November. I directed uh, Teresa Rebeck play, um, and he was my lighting designer on that. Marla Spear is costume. our costume designer, and she's terrific. And uh, our uh, let me see who else we want to add in here. 
It's like the main thing. Oh, uh, Lorraine Bellas. Bellas I was we have say, our, lead. our leading actress okay. is well. We have two female yeah. leads: Lorraine Bellas and Noelia Hernandez. Noelia is fabulous. She did the show last time in 2014, and just a glorious singer, beautiful person. We love her to death. And Lorraine Bellas, we're really excited to working with her. She yeah. was in broad on Broadway in Rent. She played Mimi on yeah. in Rent and Dreamgirls and Fame and. Yeah, we're going to have a great team. <laughs> and then we have some offers out to different actors. So we're How large is the cast? 13. 13. I was going to say, it sounds yeah. like a bigger so than normal We would show. love to have like 25. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's epic. Yeah. You know, it anytime you do this piece. kind of, you know. It's got masks yeah. and, right. you know, naked people like well, writhing on the floor. Semi-naked, semi-naked. <laughs> a lot of tribal drums. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a, it's an exciting show. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And again, those dates again for July nineteenth like, through the twenty third at the, the Acorn, Acorn Theater, Theater uh, Row. <laughs> Gotta love sisters promoting together. The you're synchronized talking. Yes, we did synchronized swimming too. Awesome. I actually have. I've seen the you know the TV the scene jokes. I've never actually seen the synchronized talking happen. Yeah, we, we do, do it all, all the time. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming this down. Lorca Paris and Anika. Anika. Anika, Anika Paris. Yes. Now that I know they're pronounced the same, spelled different. Yes. And uh, best of luck. I understand actually you're going to be utilizing the space we're in here tomorrow, tomorrow night, night to, yeah. to raise up some funds for it. You got it. These are expensive things to do. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, so. our website, templeofthesouls.com. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Thank you so thank much you for so having much, us. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Okay. Festival feature. All right. Festival season is upon us, and one of my favorite festivals has always been the New York Musical Theater Festival. Yet I hear the New York Musical Theater Festival is no more. It is now the New York Musical Festival. Mm-hmm. And that was Nymph, but now they're just NYMF. And we've got to talk about all those changes and more. We've got Rachel Sussman and Dan Markley who are two of the people heading up the team at NYMF. And how are you guys doing? Doing great. It's a little bit warm today, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we're getting all the heat out of the way before July. Yeah. I think it's the hottest day of 2017 so far. <laughs> <laughs> it is a hot day. Yeah, the 90s, but what, wait till it gets to the 100s. Oh, that's what always really killed me. Well, the good news is, if it gets to the hundreds, we have the best air conditioning in the history of this festival. This All summer. right. So, and, and the shortest amount of walking mm-hmm. distance and time for anybody that comes to several things. So, good news. Bring yeah. on the heat. So, what theaters do you have lined up this uh, this year? So, this year we have um, the Acorn at Theater Row. That's it's going nice to be one of our venues for productions. And then we also have right next door, the Sharp in the Playwrights Horizons Complex. Oh, wow. Uh, both of those are just going to house our, our productions and our, our beta-level workshops. And then we are also in the South Studio in Playwrights Horizons, all of our readings. That's on the fifth floor. And if you just walk one more avenue, we're going to be in this new venue called the Green Room 42 that's inside Yotel. It's a brand new concert venue that just opened. So everything is on 42nd Street between, what, 9th and 11th Avenue? Yeah, and then we have uh, the, the All-Stars Theater, the and Castillo. Then, mm-hmm, we have this space at uh, the Castillo Theater, which is also on 42nd Street, um, just a little west of uh, 11th, uh, 10th. Yeah, almost to 11th Avenue. Almost to 11th Avenue, and that's going to be some of our educational programming and also our audience services hub where our patrons can go and hang out. 
That sounds great. Yeah, there's there in the past. There's been a lot of running all around. It's been the city. all over the place. This is the first time we pulled some people to make sure this was true. <laughs> this is the first time that it has been in such a compact area altogether. Yeah, and it's a an amazing puzzle to put together. We have um, very little control uh, over how the real estate ultimately plays out, and theaters are real estate, yeah. and the people that own them, um, mostly not for profits, need to to do as much as they can to. Um, to maximize the revenue that they can get during the summer when they're not doing their, their own programming. We only need it for three, this year, four weeks. So, yeah. you know, we're not the ideal client. Um, if uh, somebody wants to come in and, and pay, you know, real commercial rates uh, for the space, then those theaters should be getting that. So we never know how it's going to play out. Yeah. Uh, at, at the beginning of the year, it's not like booking hotels where you can say, oh, big convention coming. We'll take, you know, all these during this period of time and here's our money. We're, we're at the beck and call of uh, of what's available. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dan, were you are you the person who came in right after Isaac left? Yes. Yeah. So that was, you were the first the person on. Then, when the founders, uh, you know, were no longer there, has has anything changed in your oh, perspective think, with how you are dealing with I, the I, festival? I think the vast vast majority of um, of what the festival is has remained the same, and there have been. Uh, some significant changes, but... Uh, well, that's, the whole, that's what we want to find yeah. out about. I, um, and I don't think change is bad. I th oh, actually no, 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 think no. change is good if something doesn't evolve. Oh, yeah. No, and it was a... Um, when Isaac Hurwitz called me uh, about this, I was very fortunate to be doing a, an extended project on the island of Nantucket. And it was a beautiful May afternoon, and I was looking at, at the harbor from this uh, nice new theater I'd, I'd been working on. He called me and, and told me that he was uh, planning to leave. And um, I thought the next thing out of his mouth was going to be so you know who do you think might be a good idea to come in and do this and yeah. he he asked me if if I would be interested yeah. and I distinctly recall uh, shaking my head in a no fashion and saying maybe <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and part of the discussion with Isaac uh, and with the board over the next couple of months is you know here's an opportunity um, to to make some changes uh, and you know no organization is perfect no organization is going to remain constant, yeah. uh, especially small uh, arts organizations. So uh, we talked about, you know, all sorts of things that, uh, that would be ideal, moving it, you know, closer to, um, to a, uh, a pure artist services organization and, and focusing on that, uh, which requires fundraising. And, you know, what are the avenues of, of fundraising? And yeah. how do you not get that money just from the people that are in the festival, but yeah. from outside sources, especially the writers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and we've done very well with that. Um, greatly expanded board, uh, greatly expanded um, group of uh, corporate partners, uh, like the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment, had never been involved. Now they're a significant player with us. Clear Channel Outdoor, uh, the big billboard advertising company, um, had been a sponsor early on in the festival and gone away, and they've come back in now and, mm -hmm. and are extremely important uh, to us. Uh, a company called Fuzz Rocket um, that is on its way to being... Uh, uh, an internet, um, sort of a LinkedIn for creative artists, um, came on to us early. So, um, what was the name of that? Fuzz Rocket. Fuzz Rocket. All right. So they, um, they, you know, have been a, a core sponsor uh, for the last <coughs> three years, and um, you know, you have to you have to go find those people and um, and then keep them. And we've done, I think, very well doing that. Mm -hmm. 
So, what, are, what Rachel, what's your position with the, the Rachel? So Rachel is the curatorial force that's of the That's what festival. he calls me, and that's we always joke, oh, we're going to put that on my business cards one day. Um, my, my official is title is Director of Programming and Artist Services. Um, my predecessor was the great Jen Bender, who's now at the Araka Group, and Mary Kate Burke, there before her. And was it Mike before Mary Kate? Mike. And, and then Lily Hung, who you probably yes, knew yeah. and met. Right. Yeah, um, I knew Lily really well. Yeah, and I, that, I knew Lily very well. Is that people scary? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I think it's been a, it, it's been a very interesting... Um, I actually know the festival very well, and I helped to found the student leadership program in the festival and had been involved in, like, various capacities from that position as a, you know, a college student to being in a festival production in 2010. Mm -hmm. I was in show choir. Mm -hmm. And then to associate general managing, to producing concerts, all which, you know, culminated in this beautiful full circle mm -hmm. adventure where I'm now here um, in charge of all of the artistic programming. And as Dan said, we've really, we've really tried to uh, move the needle a lot um, in creating more access for artists, more entry points for them to feel like the festival is really a platform for them to use and a place that they can be to, you know, grow and evolve and get some exposure here in New York in the summer. Um, and the festival also is now a summer festival. The last time yeah. you were probably no, interviewing. No, uh, oh, well, you well, were when, I, when I moved, it was uh, still fall, but... Yeah. We actually brought our, our, the students at our university. I, I collaborated and wrote a show with them, and they were actually invited right, to perform 20, at in NYMF in 2013. So, Yeah, I think that's the most critical decision that predecessors made uh, in, um, in ensuring the, the future viability of the festivals, taking it out of the fall time when the not-for-profit theaters, because we have to stay under 200 seats in order yeah. to satisfy our actors' equity agreement, and, uh, and those theaters are full of, of great not-for-profit theatrical programming at that time. In the yeah. summer, they're available. So Right. And one of, our, um, one of my big programs that uh, Dan and our board have been champions of, um, you know, we're trying to really not only present work, as Dan said, we're also trying to develop work and give artists the opportunity to create. And last year we did our, our first underwriting of a reading in the festival, mm -hmm. completely underwrote it, and that reading... Um, has now since been commercially optioned. Um, this year we're commissioning work. We have three micro-musicals, micro <laughs> being that they're 30 minutes or less yeah. that are being written in response to um, pro a prompt that I gave yeah. these artists about uh, sort of related to the current socio-political climate. Um, mm -hmm. However, they took that as and interpreted it as they yeah. felt they wanted to. So um, that's a new series that we think we're going to be able to gain a lot of traction for next year and in the future yeah. and be able to expand the kind of work we can, you know, give to artists and allow them to create here. And you've heard some of this work now, I have, the, the micro-musicals. Yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> we did our, what we called our piano sharing last week yeah. where I met up with these three teams. The teams are um, Ryan Scott Oliver and Nessie Nankavell, uh, Jason Michael Webb and Leland Durone Thompson and Ty Defoe and Tatiya Sinoku. They're writing vastly different works mm -hmm. that sound completely different. There's totally different style and, and tone. And um, we have the um, wonderful Jonathan McCrory, who's going to direct this concert. And it'll be a one-night-only event we do at uh, July 31st, which will be the last Monday of the festival here. So they you know, started writing these about 
maybe two months ago, and they're going to present these works in July. We are not taking anything from these works. We, you know, if they want to continue writing a full-length piece, that's wonderful. If they're happy with this micro show, that's great too. So, um, for us, it's really an opportunity to allow artists to to make something and then, you know, present it, debut it here in our festival. Yeah, and and I think significantly, uh, it was. Um artist-driven. Ryan came to Rachel and said, I had to write this thing. What can you do with it? And we said, well, we should have more of them So and make an evening. Um, so it was because Ryan brought the idea to us that it expanded into uh, to a multiple uh, writer program. Um, so that's what we like to do. You know, yeah. Get ideas from writers and see what's the best way to serve uh, the writing community and, uh, and the community of people that likes to enjoy musicals. And in the way of, this is such a great idea, where are we gonna get the funding? Who knows, <laughs> we'll find it as long as we continue. Yeah. You know, if, if we build it, they will come mentality and we have been able to get the ASCAP Foundation and one of our board members, Jan Brandt, to support this endeavor. And it, it was just a great yes and team yeah. to make it all happen. So hopefully we'll be able to do even more next year. So uh, how many shows are involved? Is it still about 30-ish? Uh, well, it yeah. depends. So yeah. we have all these different categories, right? Yeah. Like broadly, if you look at the festival, there's about 50 things okay. that happen. Yeah. If you break it down, we have 22 productions, um, seven, uh, actually maybe 10 concerts, if you include the yeah. things that we produce ourselves. Uh, we have 10 readings, our developmental reading series. And we do um, a number of educational workshops, panels, events. So, and the betas. And the betas. The betas are uh, there's only two, perhaps three of them this year. The the beta musical series is also very new, mm -hmm. established last year, and really has been formalized this year. It's, it's that workshop level between readings and productions mm -hmm. where we allow teams to focus on one or two key elements on their feet. Mm -hmm. They can be Doing a show with script in hand or not doesn't have to be costumed if their elements are, we just wanted to see what would happen if we had choreography or yeah. if we just built puppets. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to <coughs> allow for that in this brand new um, category. So back to your original yeah. question, what's changed? So that's yeah, a that's, change that's since changed. I came in. That's a change since Rachel came in. The things well, that, that Mary-Kate wanted to do and things that Jen Bender wanted to do. The seems like a good option also for maybe shows that are bigger, too big maybe for the exactly. actual nymph production, but they do need to develop it and get it and see something, exactly. not just read it, but at least see how it moves. And Yeah, these are yeah. not puppies. They don't all develop at exactly yeah. the same rate. Um, they Things happen. You know, multiple collaborators on shows, um, external events happen, um, and shows need a particular thing. And we feel very strongly that we don't want uh, any show to spend uh, more money than is necessary. Yeah. So if building a set is not going to inform where you are in your storytelling process, don't hire a designer, don't you know, build it, transport it, store it, yeah. all those things. Do what you need to do in terms of production. And our audience, uh, they, they like seeing the sausage made. You know, if you tell them, yeah. here's what's going on right now with this show, and here's your place in that, mm -hmm. they're completely happy. Yeah. Uh, if you try to fool them and you know, say, yeah. oh yeah, you know, well, and I think for us, it's also, you know, we, we really instill the belief in our participants that this is not, you know, 
NYMF Next Stop Broadway. This, yeah. this, is a, this is a festival model, and so you have to be very aware of the context in which you're presenting your work. And so we really recommend being suggestive and gestural yeah. and allowing our audiences, who are all very smart, to use their imagination to figure yeah. out the rest and know that, oh, if this was performed in, like, the larger scale yeah. model, they would have this a little more fleshed out in yeah. some sense. And I think that that's also very exciting to be able to um, to just give people a glimpse at what yeah. it could potentially be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the beta is uh, particularly helpful for uh, writers who have been with the show for a long time and they've done so many readings that if they do one more reading, they might yeah. just blow their brains out. Yeah, right? I, I, I got my favorite playwriting. And the, the, the whole community is just right. talking and talking about the plays right. being just... Stuck developed and read to death. They just, the writers just want to see it physically move. And they want someone, a director, yeah. choreographer, uh, to be saying, you move over here and yeah. this is going to, you know, uh, make this moment uh, play in a way that it just can't mm-hmm. at a music stand. Yeah. So the writers are very... How many favorite. betas are there in this? Yes. So we, um, we have two betas and we only have two because we do have to curate their yeah. experience and work with them to ensure that the, the elements that they want to work on are are clear and from from our end that we're communicating with them about their needs rather than productions, which can kind of go off and we have a sense that they're going to put yeah. on a, a bigger show than a beta. Yeah. And we want to make sure that, you know, it's, it's really personalized to what they want. So how do, how do theater artists of all kinds, designers, directors, actors, writers... Is, it, is there an easy way for them to get involved with the whole new... Because I know you need hundreds oh of people gosh, so many between people. all the cast and everything. <laughs> I mean, what's what's the best way for the, all the artists out there listening to uh, dive in and yeah. pitch in and help? I mean, I think we spend a lot of time um, talking about the access we give to artists, as in the writers yeah. themselves, to get on board. Yeah. But the festival is also an incredible platform for people at the beginning of their professional career as designers, as actors, as director choreographers. And so what we what we do in particular for what we call the core creative team members, directors and choreographers, music directors, yeah. we do this event in March called the, um, the Link Up, which is been established sort of like a, a job fair. All of the shows yeah. that are on board at that point yeah very clear with us about who they have on their team, who they're still looking for, and then we put out this invitation to the folks we have in our world and uh, invite them to come. And it's an opportunity for them to have real face time with shows. In the past, it had been a giant networking event in which yeah. there were just so many people. I and went also, to one of those, and it was yeah. like, yeah, it was a little bit too much, just like a bar mixer. That's exactly what happened. It's changed it's since changed. I came along. <laughs> and so what we were able to do is, you know, shows were, were meeting actors, which was really lovely, but, you know, they didn't have a casting director yet. Yeah. So they were like, we need to, we need to really figure this out. Um, process by, you know, step by step. And so we now have this this first event in which they can make sure they have their core people, not only director, choreographer, music director, casting director, but who's your general manager? Are you going to hire a publicist? Some of these really important people you need to decide if you want to have on your team, especially if you're a production, which have longer runs and which are have the opportunity for more exposure. Um, then we do, just just actually finished our auditions, we have our resident casting director, Michael Cassera, who's been with the festival for many years, 
He does, um, this year we did four days of EPA, equity principal mm-hmm. auditions, and uh, one non-equity day. And people, our shows all sign up. But the reason yeah. we had four instead of three days this year was because so many of the shows wanted to participate and wanted mm-hmm. to find new talent. So that's a really exciting way for actors to get involved, whether you already have your equity card or, or you don't. And then you come to the non-ec audition day. Yeah, and I, I just going back to the, the directors and the choreographers, uh, I think um, the festival has been for a long time, and, and increasingly so, uh, is an opportunity for directors, choreographers working at a very high level, at the associate level on Broadway, and, and needing to have the opportunity to direct something, yeah. <laughs> to be in charge of it, mm-hmm. uh, where their industry can come and see their work. So you see Mia Walker, who works with Diane Paulus. You see David Alpert. Um, Serge works with Michael, Michael Greif, yeah, Serge. Um, uh, Tom Caruso, you know, uh, on Groundhog Day and everything else Matthew Ward just does. They're directing in our festival, and, and we are uh, a great promoter of, um, of bringing those caliber directors and choreographers into the festival because that protects the show. That, that brings casting, that brings calmness in tech, it brings their designers, you know. Um, I mean, Hal Binkley, Tony Award winner, designing <laughs> the, the lights for a show last year um, was great. He wasn't doing his Broadway design, but he, yeah. was, um, he was there making that show um, move easier and faster and better for the show, better for the audience. And it gives those folks who might be new to the scene an opportunity to work with these people who already have a, you know, a foot in the door and who are on their way to being the next big thing. And they all get to connect with one another. And that's the part that I think for us is really exciting to watch. Yeah. All right. So when is this year's 2017 festival again? July 10th through August 6th. July 10th through August 6th. And did we mention it's all on 42nd Street between yeah. 9th Avenue and 11th Avenue? So easy. Yeah, so air conditioned. There's a lot of people who aren't going to be able to miss the festival. Do you still have all the signs and banners everywhere in town? And, everywhere. Yeah. And then, you know, with our Clear Channel Outdoor sponsorship, yeah. we have a massive billboard, which is so cool. On and the Port we, Authority the Port and Authority. in Times Square um, and in cities on the eastern seaboard. And then for people, because people will be listening to this for a while, do you by any chance have your 2018 date set already? July and August. July and August. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. We do know when our gala is. We do, November 12th. Mm-hmm. And we will be honoring Marsha Norman <laughs> this year. And some other exciting folks mm-hmm. to be announced. Yeah. Um, but it will be July and August. Yeah. We are a summer festival. Stay tuned for three or four weeks next year. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it goes back to the real estate. For writers who are wanting to submit shows, it's open. So you submissions know, open for our Nextling project. Our Nextling project is... Um, a double-blind submissions process, and we select uh, approximately 10 shows through this process, uh, and those shows receive a $5,000 subsidy toward participation. We assign them a dramaturg. They get additional administrative and creative support. Those submissions are going to open right after Labor Day this year, and they will stay open until about early January. So they'll be th- uh, three months. Or, I'm sorry, early November. Right. January is when we pick them. Yeah, and you can at nymf.org. nymf.org. All right, well, it was a pleasure to talk to you guys. I'm excited about the changes that I've heard you say. Um, I, I wish I were here during the festival this year myself. Um, I, I love it. I've, ta- I've taken in upwards of like 15 shows at a time in, in a year. And, That's uh, how you got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> and I do. I urge people to go. I mean, and, and for artists, I think, 
there's no better learning experience than than watching this kind of thing. Um, I mean, I hear complaints that you know sometimes things are great, but sometimes things aren't. And what I always say is, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to learn when everything's perfect mm-hmm. on Broadway. When everything works, it's just seamless, and you don't see. But when you're watching people create, and there's an element that's wrong, that's where you can go, oh, how could I have? And it's and I mean I just find the festival an amazing learning experience, amazing way to discover new talent. I've I've enjoyed taking in way too many shows in the past, so I hope people well for twenty seven fifty per ticket. Yeah, I mean, can you and really take in too many packages too that are like yeah. we do? Yeah. yeah, passes are the way to go. Yeah, a lot of benefits. So you can take in a lot, learn a lot, meet a bunch of people. The writers are often hanging out after the shows to, yeah. <laughs> and they would love to talk about their show with you. Yeah. yeah. And our passes are on sale for this summer now, and our individual tickets go on sale June 15th. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Festival feature. Busy season for Nymph with everybody gearing up and getting ready to start rehearsals. And you guys as an audience are going to have so many things to check out. And we've got a couple of people involved with The Demise which is a rock opera-ish piece uh, that is being... It's a part of a different series. Is this the developmental series? What? Yes, mm-hmm. we are part of the, the beta series, the workshop series in NIMPH this year. Mm-hmm. In and yeah, we got Sean Pecknick and Allie Keller, Hello. who is the dramaturg Hi. for the show. And, and uh, Sean, you're directing, correct? Correct. Okay, so... This is, this is for the reading series. So what, what's involved with prepping... Just even before we talk about the show, I guess, a little bit. What, how much time are you allowed? Because you're, you're rule-wise allowed X number of hours for a reading, aren't you? We're actually kind of something that's a little... We're a little past reading, but a little short of full production. So okay. we are going to have uh, probably like a two- or three-week rehearsal process. It'll be a, a, yeah. a significant workshop rehearsal process leading up to three workshop production performances of the show. Okay. So tell us about the demise. What what is what is this about? The, uh, I'll t- I'll start yeah, with this, start. and then yeah, <laughs> then Ali can jump in. So the demise is a, a an immersive rock opera theatrical experience. Um, the demise is loosely based, uh, inspired by um, the novel Steppenwolf, um, the Herman Hesse novel, um, and the character Harry Holler, who is in that novel. Um, and sort of, uh, um, it's a journey for that, for a character to, for a person to confront themselves, um, confront their own fears. Um, so the world of the demise is, is we start in a theater setting, um, and, uh, plucked out of the audience, um, is our, our main character who's, who's, a want-to-be rock star um, who's kind of hitting an impasse in his life. As you probably could pluck about anybody out of the uh, audience. We are thinking about just pulling a random <laughs> person out of the audience and probably could star in the show for the night. Um, uh, there is actually some interaction in the, in the beginning of the show um, with audience members that we're still trying to work out all the details of, but uh, it's an aspect that's been written into the show already. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so uh, Harry Holler gets uh, plucked out of the audience and goes on a journey that he was not expecting to go on. Um, and in some ways, the journey of the show is a journey through New York City. It takes us all around the city. We head down to the subway. We come out and Wall Street. 
and then work our way uptown from there. Um, and at the same time, it's a journey down into Harry's subconscious and into his mind. Um, and, uh, and what's amazing for me as a director of a project like that is once we go into the mind, anything can happen. <laughs> um, and there's lots of elements of the show that are very exciting to approach. There's circus elements, um, there's burlesque elements, um, there's a whole portion of the show that's completely sung through. Um, so there's all sorts of really exciting elements in this particular production. Yeah. And I think what's particularly exciting about the way the immersiveness is incorporated into the piece is that um, because Harry is plucked out of the audience, the characters are aware of the audience as an audience as, a pair, as opposed to other sort of immersive experiences where audiences are a part of that world. The show is like immersively a part of yours, mm -hmm. which is uh, very Kind of yeah. a very cool different spin on it. Which yeah, is I was talking to a friend that was in an immersive show in Los Angeles, and he was saying that they, despite the fact that the audience was in and among and around them, there was still the fourth wall that they were playing with. And right. so for him, it was an interesting experience of like being in the middle of an audience, but not really being able to connect with them at the same time. This is very much a show where we're acknowledging that we're all sitting in a theater together. We're all going to go on a journey together. Um, and there's lots of interplay between uh, the characters in the show and the audience itself. Yeah. Now, when is this playing? We're um, in the last week uh, of the festival, so we're um, early August. It's okay. uh, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th, I believe, or something in that weekend. Yeah. Um, and we're at the Peter J. Sharp Theater at Playwrights mm -hmm. Horizons. Um, what's really exciting about, so the team that is writing this is from Los Angeles. They've been developing the show for about seven or eight years, which I like to say is, is the, uh, is sort of the expected incubator time <laughs> for a new musical. Yeah, I've heard averages in that. That's yeah. I, talking with I joked with a friend actually years ago, he was doing a concert at Joe's <coughs> of a new musical and, um, and I gave him a hug afterwards and I said, I'll see you in seven years when you get a production of the show. And he laughed and was horrified. And then uh, he texted me about six months ago and said, we're getting a production of the show and it's been exactly seven years since that Joe's Pop concert. And even I was like, oh God, that's, that's scarily, scarily accurate. But um, the team for The Demise did... Um, did a concert version in Los Angeles at the Roxy in 2011. So we're kind of right on that time frame of, uh, of seven years for the show to come to, to fulfillment. But what's really exciting, I think, about what this team is doing with, uh, with NYMF this year is they're really looking, they have very specific goals of what they're trying to accomplish in the festival. They, you know, this is an immersive rock opera that yeah. wants to be done at a scale that's larger yeah. than the festival you know, can offer. But what the team is really excited about is using this as a time to really focus on the development of the music, story, what does it mean for an audience to interact with this piece, how, does, how do those elements work. And so for me as a director, I'm super excited about diving into that process where um, the end goal is, is still part of the exploration, yeah. right? We'll, we'll be, until the last performance, I think we'll still be kind of trying to figure out what, we're, what this piece is and how it works. So, before we talk about your role on this show as a dramaturg, Allie, okay. why don't you tell us a little bit about what a dramaturg is? And is, it, is this your ambition, to be a dramaturg? Uh, 
No, okay. this is actually a very uh, a happy accident okay. part of my career. Um, I uh, am predominantly a playwright, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a resident playwright at the Cry Havoc Company, which is a new play development company here in the city. Um, and they have sort of trained me in dramaturgy along my many years of figuring yeah. out writing and being in the city and life and everything else. Um, and so I think I have a very specific lens on what dramaturgy is, especially on new plays. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, how I describe it to yeah. people is my role is to come in and assist the playwright or assist the team in writing the show they are trying to write. Um, and that, you know, and a very like technical level, I guess, yeah. if you want to get into it, is a lot about um, reading and asking questions to them about what they are trying to do and then where I'm tracking that throughout the script and things that I got too excited about yeah. and they didn't mean me to get that excited yeah. about and, and, and helping them very clearly tell their story. Yeah. I guess that's my explanation of the job, as I've learned so far. Yeah, but I mean, and I think the process has changed over the years too, yeah. in terms of what, what, what role you know. I mean, the dramaturg was a rather new thing until uh, what Patrick, what uh, oh, he came and spoke at my school. And I'm spaced out his mm. last name, but one of the first like paid professional mm. <laughs> drama. They really, I mean, it really is yeah. something that I think shifts from project to project and yeah. from theater to theater, yeah. and it it really depends on what the needs of the project are. Yeah. So, what have the needs of this project been? Where, where, where do you feel you, your your role as dramaturg has had the most impact? Um, well, I will say that Elizabeth. Because it's a rather invisible art. Yeah. So I, oh I, 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 yes. You know, Hopefully, it should yeah. feel like an invisible art. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're doing the yeah. job right, uh, as Elizabeth and Doug have described it, uh, my role on this is script therapist. Um, <laughs> so, really, what our um, meetings have been like so far is um, me coming in and sitting down and asking them where they're at today and their goals on the project um, and being able to say, okay, so if you want the audience to go on this journey throughout the piece, let's start at the first section of the show. And when we're pulling Harry out of the audience, mm -hmm. my questions uh, were this and this initially. So you can make one choice that gives me a clue that this is what's happening or this is what's happening, and this is what those two things would do. Is this more of what you're going for or is this what you're going for? And they are, you know, brilliant and amazing, so they're usually like, it's not those two things, it's this third thing. And then we get very excited and clear and sort of go through the piece like that. Um, but I think what made me so excited to work on this piece with them and sort of the challenge of any kind of immersive piece. It's a little bit building like a science fiction world. Yeah. So the rules are so, yeah. have to be so clear and so structured. Um, and yet they're wide open. open and it, they can be anything. Yeah. Um, and because we're kind of starting in our world and building our way into yeah. the mind of the character, it's like a science fiction world in reverse. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it has mm -hmm. been me being like, okay, so from what you're saying, if I'm an audience member and we do this, it's I'm getting this rule and this rule. So by the time we get here, what do you guys want to do? How do we want to shatter that or, yeah. or yeah, break expectations? Yeah. I should speak a little bit about the, the team that's writing this. They're a really fascinating group of artists. Um, Joel Stein is the composer of the music. 
Um, Joel is an artist. So they're all LA based. Um, Joel is. That's oh, okay. We'll forgive him. Yeah, I know. I know. Although, although, yeah, they're actually. Well, they've all spent significant amounts of time here. Um, Elizabeth Ng Wong, uh, who's back in LA right now, is saying she's really missing New York City right now for the first time in her life. She's really missing New York City. So, um, but Joel Stein is an incredible composer. Um, holds a, a PhD in music composition from UCLA. Um, he's the one who started just writing sort of a concept album rock opera um, years ago. Um, and uh, brought it to Elizabeth Ingwong, who is a fr- uh, an old friend of his, who has uh, she's an MF- she's an MFA in producing from USC, and has most most of her work experience up until this point has been as a producer and documentary film director, uh, as well as being a writer. And then they teamed up with uh, Doug Krieger, who is a pretty well known um, uh, actor um, here in the New York City scene. He's uh, got some Broadway credits. Who's in the revival of yeah. Les Mis? So they're all are very, very accomplished artists in their pockets of what they do, and then they've all come together to create this new immersive rock opera theater experience. And so, I don't know how you feel, Ali, but I know that for me, as my background is really in theater directing and developing new work with writers, I feel like um, I feel really excited by the fact that in some ways they don't know all the rules of what you're supposed to do in theater and they're not, and in a fantastic way are not feeling like they have to follow any of them. Um, And then we have the opportunity, I think, to kind of speak to like what we know of the theater experience and, and shape and guide what this thing is going to be with them. I feel that's always a good thing when there's a member of the team, not when there's a ton of members of the team who don't know theater, I think it's a recipe (laughs) for disaster. But when there's a prominent member, yeah. On, on the development yeah. portion, whether it's writer, director, or producer. Yeah. When there's one that, that is can think outside the box. Thinking, yeah. not thinking of our rules, I yeah. think it brings yeah. in some yeah. and amazing all, ideas. Yeah, I, th- I totally agree. And, you know, Joel has, um, uh, our composer has toured with with theatrical productions, and he's composed for, for plays and things before. And Doug obviously has performance experience. So there is some connection to what theater is and how it works. Yeah. And that, but yes, there, there's also very much a, a thought of like, we can think outside the box and we don't have to play by the rules. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a fearlessness mm. with this team mm-hmm. um, that's super exciting to work on. I think you can pick up on it even in just reading the script on the page. It mm-hmm. feels very like this is the goal that we're going towards and we're not going to sacrifice this really awesome, exciting idea yeah. and we will figure it out. We will <laughs> figure out how to get there. I actually have read very few pieces on the page that are as expansive and epic and yeah. like uh, written on a scale that I can already see on the page. Um, and for me, I also felt like, oh, now I want to see this thing through <laughs> to being what, what they're hoping it's going to be yeah. on the scale that they're hoping to create on. Yeah. Well, maybe it's about time to listen to a song from the, the demo. Sure. That what what song should we play here? I I was just uh, chatting with Ali because there's a <laughs> bunch of really great tunes. I think that um, we should play a little excerpt from a song called All Go Down, uh, which is a song that is sung by both our, our lead character, Harry Holler, and the ensemble. Um, it's a moment in the piece, as Ali was just saying, um, the piece starts we're in a very sort of traditional theatrical setting, um, and uh, we're introduced to the guide who will be taking us on our journey tonight, um, mm-hmm. a character that's sort of otherworldly, and um, and the character that picks Harry Holler out of the audience. 
And for the first several numbers of the show, we're sort of in that traditional theater setting. Um, and then this is the the first number of the show where I think the world starts to crack open a little yeah. bit. And, um, and we head down literally into a subway station, <laughs> yeah. but uh, metaphorically into the subconscious, into the yeah. mind, into another world, I would say. So this is... Uh, this is an excerpt from All Go Down. All right. Can't seem to count the years of all the wandering through this world. The hiking high and low over the mountain range of souls. Where I arrived is but a dive, a house in need of overhaul. These four walls, they will all go down. Together, yeah, they'll all go down together. These images round me are all illusions, everyone. I close my eyes to hear. The only song t'was ever sung While others run to this and others run to that A few go slow, see them crawl And we'll all go down together Yeah, we'll Far too real, who will reveal the unknown goal? Surrounded by the surreal, can I relinquish all control? Am I a witness or the lead inside a tale yet to be told? A notebook scrawl and will sake what's right what's wrong who can i trust amongst these creatures creeping from the concrete sprawl or subway halls we will all go down together we will all 
down together We will all go down together Yeah, we'll discuss who is singing on the on that demo um i believe that it's doug doug krieger who's okay. one of the writers who is uh who's singing on that demo but i'll have to check yeah. to be 100 percent sure of that but i'm i'm 90 sure it's doug i'll, that's singing I'll, I'll like that. make a note of a correction if that's, yeah, if sure, that's wrong sure. um so you got another show you'd like to share before we wrap this up and, and before we share the song again when are the, when can they catch this at nymph so we are in the last week of the festival, the Peter J. Sharp, uh, August 3rd, 4th, 5th. Uh, you can look on the NYMF uh, calendar on the website to, to find yeah. us. I'm pretty sure tickets are already on sale, yes. so you can and buy them and immediately. If and if you're listening to this afterwards, hopefully you'll find other places around that are doing the show by, by then. So what is this next song? Uh, let's do uh, let's do a piece from Come On Down, which is our opening number. Um, the guide character sings this, and uh, it's sort of our introduction into the world of the demise. All right. Come on down to the party. We heard you were in town. Come on down. To the party, we'd like to have you around. Leave your jewels and your pearls, dance around the world with all your flags unfurled. We heard you were in town, so won't you come on down?
solitary centuries of strangest goings on. Then you emerge out in a street where a carefree carnival draws you off your feet. The celebration's found, so won't you come on down? So fantastic, the demise going on. Um, and before we maybe say goodbye, do uh, would either of you, Sean Pecknick or Allie Keller, uh, is that right? Did I get those both right? Um, yes. Have yeah. anything coming up that you're excited about, or just uh, give us a sneak peek? Or- uh, I feel like I should say yes because I have so many things going on. Now that you ask me, I'm like I'm blank. There's nothing. There's nothing. Do you want me to go first? Here. while you think yes, for a while second. Yes, while I think for a second. Um, I have a I have a few things that I'm that I'm feeling. Actually, the demise is I'm super excited about the. Demise. Well, you're going to be on another interview about yeah, this on the same episode for Nick. So we correct. We can. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, I'm developing a new musical right now <coughs> with uh, an organization called Musical Theater Factory, um, and the piece is called Fireflies. Uh, it was written by Dmitry Koltanov, and um, it's uh, it's also I have started to um, develop a taste for musicals that don't easily fit into the mold of what musical theater uh, traditionally yeah. is, um, and so this also is a piece that started as a concept album and yeah. is is I am working on developing and crafting the piece with the writer into a musical. Um, it's about the immigrant experience. It's about uh, being a first-generation immigrant in this country and um, what the new version of the American dream is. So I actually have a workshop uh, reading of that this upcoming weekend, but it's something to look look for in the future as well. Okay. And Allie? Now that I have had time to yeah. think. Um, I... I'm actually I'm working on finishing a full-length play right now, um, right. which is exciting. <laughs> and just had a reading, and I'm hope hopefully will turn into having a workshop at some point soon. But it's called um, Standards, and it's about four uh, sorority girls who are dating guys in the same fraternity who have uh, access to a very high-profile job through connections through their boyfriends. And uh, things get a little crazy through the competition that they create for themselves. So it's a little bit about how young women are misusing feminism a little bit as a weapon when things get into the competition territory. Sounds very intriguing. Sounds cool. (laughs) All right. Best of luck in your endeavors coming up and with Nymph this summer. So uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Festival feature. All right, I'm sitting here with Jonathan Savage, who is going to be in uh, the light rail at Nymph this July. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm pretty good. How about you? <laughs> good. <laughs> so, um, what the uh, what's the deal with light rail? What what what? Tell us about the show and make some people want to come see it. All right, it's a, this really <laughs> awesome production that combines music and innovative movement to bring light into mental illness, like post traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, and OCD. And um, the ensemble embodies the movement of the mental illness and brings it into light and shows that we can live imperfectly and beautifully. 
So what do you mean by uh, unconventional movement? Or- um, we're we're going to start exploring that. Yeah, we yeah, haven't yeah. really gotten to that yeah, yet. Yeah, there's only really a four-week rehearsal period, so yeah, this is still a little early for you, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to find out, but I think it's going to be very, very... Um, as it was excuse me, words as it was described to me, it was going to be very um, civilian, but also just like breaking out and then coming back in to the to the characters to sh- and they're, it's always present. So even when they're not speaking, the dancing and the movement is showing what they're thinking, so that the that conversation is always still in the room and those thoughts are still there, even if it's not being said, which yeah. is really cool. And it's interesting because the the ensemble has lines, so. The Lindsay, the main character, she ha- has OCD, and I portray the OCD. And so when she's saying one thing, I'm saying what she's actually thinking. <laughs> and it's really funny. There's a scene with the leak, and it's hysterically done. But it's I also talked to Kira about it, and like it really shows you that this is what people with OCD and like anxiety and depression like this is their life, and this is their way of thinking. And it's not. And I, I was scared of portraying it as a joke. I just want to make sure I didn't cross that line, especially with OCD. And she was like, I mean, these lines are written to show what it is like and what the thought process is. So it's interesting. It's really cool. So have you ever done any nymph shows before? I haven't. This is my first. I'm really excited. So how did you get involved? How did you get in? There might be other people out there wondering how they can squeeze in. And Was was this a personal contact or is this an audition process? Well, Kira wrote the show. And um, I met Kira at my Michigan dance call when I was auditioning for (laughs) colleges. And we were both really nervous. We were sitting there, and my mom had given me an evil eye on a safety pin to pin onto my dance clothes. And she was really nervous, so I gave her my evil eye. And so then, then we became instant friends. We had talked for about three years. I'm going into my senior year, so we've known each other for a while. We've talked here and there, and we were definitely still friends. And um, over spring break, she just messaged me, and she was like, hey, so my show just got offered to 54 Below Show. Do you want to be mm-hmm. in it? And I was like... Sure, I would love to. And then a week later, she was like, so my show just got offered a place at Nymph. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I'd love you to be a dancer. I've seen your videos on Instagram, and you're a beautiful dancer, and I'd love to have you do it. And I'd be like, wow, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. So it's a little bit about putting yourself out there and like putting your work out there and not be afraid. That's one thing I've really learned as I'm going into this business is like, don't be afraid to take pride in your work and to like put it out there, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or something just like, because that opens doors and people see you working and like seeing you trying to pursue your dreams. So uh, how, how does Instagram work for you as a dancer, putting, putting your work out there and networking? Um, well, I, I don't have a lot of dance. Tell us your Instagram. Oh, my Instagram is J a savage (laughs) five. S a V a G E. Feel free to follow me. Um, Well, I recently choreographed a piece for myself because this semester I'm working a lot on choreography, this piece in response to the election and just taking my broken heart and turning it into art. And I choreographed this piece too. I didn't know my own strength. And it was something I'd put a lot of effort into and it was just a lot of emotion and work. And I was like, this isn't perfect, but it's my response to something and it's my visceral reaction and I'm just going to put it out there. And I wasn't... Like, this is, like, to show my lines or this and this and that. It was just, this is me trying to create art and share it. And it's not perfect, but this is what it is. And taking that step to just saying, oh, here's this video of me. And this is me creating art and not trying to be perfect and show you I can do all these things. But just to add to this beautiful pool of art that we as artists are just trying to put into this world. And 
you just got to put yourself out there. Yeah. Uh, now, where where are you studying? I go to Penn State. I'm going okay. to my senior year, which is really nerve wracking. Just because like the real world's coming. You do a bit of commuting back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm here every so often, yeah. um, but I'm hoping to move here at the end of my senior year or at the beginning of the summer. So yeah. How are you going to handle the rehearsal period? Do you have friends to couch surf with? Or yeah, I have so many friends here. <laughs> I'm I have one person I'm like lining up with, and I was like, "Hey, girl." Um, <laughs> Could I possibly stay with you? She's like, well, you could sublet if you want. And I was like, I could do that. That would be great. And it turns out it was right where the rehearsal process is. Um, and it was near the Green Room 42, which is where our show is. 23rd and the 24th. Come check us out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I have a lot of friends. I have a few backups that I'm, like, keeping in reserves to be like, oh, hey, last minute my living situation fell through. So yeah. it's nice to have a lot of alumni friends. So uh, what's kind of your favorite part of school that you've been studying at your, at your, your class? Love, or specifically about Penn State or? Yeah, or you, yeah. Well, what I love about Penn State is that it's conservatory style training in a university setting. So we get to take all these other classes that I feel like in, that help lend to us as artists. So I love space. I took the space class. It was called History of Black Holes. I could tell you anything you want to know <laughs> about black holes. Um, but I just love the familial aspect of Penn State, and everybody's just so nice and diverse and wonderful and just artists who all want to do the same thing in that we just want to bring art to this world and make a difference. So is this a, you said it's an unconventional movement in the light rail, mm -hmm. backing up to the show. Is it an unconventional script as well? It's, or is it, I, what, what does the audience, should they be looking at when they? Um, I would just say just definitely come ready to listen and just, because it's not exactly, it's a very realistic script. It's nothing like, ooh, you know. <laughs> it's real conversations with real people dealing with real things. Sam and Lindsay end up renting the same apartment on Craigslist, not realizing that the guy totally scammed them, and now they're living together. And they went to high school together and kind of knew each other and are coming in like, oh, whoa, wait, this is my apartment. No, this is my apartment. And so, like, like everyday things that would happen but with this other, not otherworldly, but not necessarily, something you don't normally see with the ensemble's convention of the thoughts. And so I think it just gives you a deeper level into seeing, it's not about one person, but rather the interactions between the people. So the three main characters, Jamie, Sam, and Lindsay, are all struggling with something. And it's not just Lindsay's story. It's not Jamie's story. It's not Sam's story. It's how they interact and how these stories intertwine and how one thing leads to another and like the domino effect of just like live your best life and understand that other people are trying to do the same and just be respectful, you know? All right. And so when and where can they be looking for this at Nymph again? You can see the light rail yeah. at Green Room 42, July 23rd and 24th, July 23rd at 7 and July 24th at 2 and 7. Um, yeah, Green Room 42. You can check us out at thelightrailmusical.com <laughs> or nymph.org. And yeah, and to see you fun. dancing again, they can check out your Instagram. Yeah, you can J A Savage Five <laughs> if you feel so inclined. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for thank stopping you so by, much. and uh, best of luck with rehearsals. Thank you, thank you so much. Curtain call. Well, that wraps up our first episode of our new season and are celebrating our 11th anniversary here. Um, remember, we do have another great interview uh, in 801B 
So be sure to check that out in the feed and uh, on the website. Also, if you're interested in to see what all the great interviews we got coming up this season, we do have that posted in an article on our website at broadwaybullet.com. So you can make sure to go there and find out. I'm really excited to get this going up again. And uh, I hope you enjoy the season we got coming. And again, check out the University of Providence and our uh, theater and business arts program. Something real different and uh, something that I think a lot of artists really need. In fact, as I brought up the program to everybody I interviewed, they were just all talking about how that was uh, so amazing and what we needed. I guarantee there's not a program really quite like it anywhere. So, with that said, we're going to be back in two weeks on uh, July 25th, kicking it off. So, uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. I'd also like to take this time to give some thanks to everybody who makes these episodes possible. I'd like to give a shout-out to Matthew Bartolotta, recent graduate of the University of Great Falls, who uh, was my assistant helping out. We're going to be bringing out uh, a student, at least one or two students from our program every time when we do this. So thanks to him. Also, thank you, thank you, thank you to the Dramatist Guild Fund uh, for providing a wonderful location to do all these interviews and to the University of Providence for providing travel assistance. Oh, oh, oh.